College basketball fans, here we are back again for another edition of Mad About Hoops. I'm Timmy Hall, your resident college basketball lover and our other resident college basketball lover, Evil Bald Colin. CB, what's going on, man? Tim, I'm doing well. A lot's happened both on and off the court the past couple of weeks since we've last talked, but it's uh, it's it's been looking very good for both the local team here and just the sport in general. Yeah, we will get into a lot here in uh, this episode. It's week four of the 2023-2024 season, and we say hello to all of our listeners on Saturday morning on The Fan as well. It's good to be back there, starting off some Saturday mornings and a good full weekend of hoops because God only knows our football season very well could be over. I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see for the yeah, by the time final college football playoff rankings. But I'm not holding this, my breath, buddy. The Saturday morning crew won't know this either by the time they hear this, so it won't sound outdated for them. <laughs> no, I, I got to tell you, uh, it's it's so much fun to watch the holiday tournaments. We've been we've been away for a couple of weeks since doing some podcasts off the start of the season, and so we've had a chance to watch Feast Week back then. Uh, you mentioned Ohio State. We'll get you a Buckeye breakdown in segment three coming up here today in the pod. But it was nice to see them get some success winning a thing down in Florida called the Emerald Coast Classic Championship. It's not your biggest. It's not your biggest or baddest that's out there. I mean, you've got one that has bad in the name. Isn't it the Bad Boy Mowers Battle for Atlantis? Is that still the main sponsor? Oh, is that the sponsor for is, it? Is that the that's main funny. sponsor down there? I don't know. That's there's, funny. There's Atlantis. That's certainly a big one now. And Still the almighty, the Maui Invitational that moved over from the Lahaina Civic Center to Honolulu That's and right. played at University of Hawaii, the Rainbow Warriors Arena, which is like a 10,000-seat arena. Not the biggest place in the world. Almost seems ideal for what we talk about with Buckeye basketball and trying to have the best environment possible and not all those empty upper bowl seats. But they weren't filling it for the Maui. I noticed that, but it was a very, very loud crowd for the fan bases that were there. And I mean, it was juggernauts of basketball, Colin. Yeah, they did really well with it, especially in a year where the Silver Swords were in the field. They did a re- really good Chaminade. job. Yes, the yeah. Chaminade. Yeah. They, they did a really good job at managing the field for that. But um, no, it was it was really just, you got down to the final, uh, I would say the semifinals, but especially the final between Purdue and Marquette. Just two heavyweights this season that are going to be there in the mix come the postseason and I mean, as we saw with both those teams last year, they lost early, so they're looking for some redemption on both sides. They played pretty well to start. Colin, I don't know how often this this does something to you, but it always hits me no more than two games in. So, you know, whatever team you watch or if you're just checking in to a lot of games and watching like a short package of it, if you're giving, you know, five or ten minutes of a watch to certain games that are on while you're flipping on a, on a weeknight. Because that is what's great about college basketball is when you just saunter into something. Now we've got, you know, our YouTube TV display, which kind of gives you your picks. You might not even know that a game that you wanted to watch was on that night and you pop on your streaming TV service and it'll say, hey, you might, you're a sick man. So for you, it's like, you might want to watch yes. Colgate and Vermont. And you're like, oh yeah, baby, CBS Sports Network. But no. But it's funny. It picks up on your watching habits. So it, it suggests that. And uh-huh. I've gotten comments from uh, family members whenever they would fire up the YouTube TV. It's like, why are they suggesting this to you? And I'm like, well, I could explain it to you, but right. you don't want to hear the full right. story. But Bowling no, Green versus Central Michigan? It's, what? It's Basketball? great. It's honestly, it's great. And it gets you really in the groove for when it 
really becomes hot and heavy during the spring when you get towards conference tournament time. You get used and you get to understand these teams once you get to that point where you're watching a big South tournament and you're like, oh yeah, I saw them early, earlier this year. This is what they were pretty good at. Uh-huh. And it, yeah. you just, you kind of familiar, you get familiar with what's going on. It is hard to keep up with a schedule and to span the entire sport because there's so many teams. So that is a little nifty thing that we have now in this new age of consuming our sports products on TV, which I don't even know. We can still call it TV. Is there going to become an age where we can't even call it a TV? I think is TV's, it going to turn into a hologram that's up there on our wall? I think TV's fine. It's when you start talking about cable where you get into trouble. No cable, yeah. But I think we're going to reach an age where TV's gone and we just say we're streaming. We're just streaming. Watching on the stream. Like a projector on the wall. Yeah, I mean, most what people are you doing do tonight? it now. Just watching some stream. Or you don't even say watching anymore. You just say streaming, and that's it. But... Uh, back to what I was saying. So whichever games you saunter into, whichever ones you start really taking a bite out of, it's only a couple games for me before officiating pops off the page. Yeah. Right. Like your, your reaction says it all. (laughs) And I, I don't know what aspects of college basketball officiating are getting to you. There's certainly the, the goaltender review is a thing that you're that you're seeing right now. Yeah, where, this, that's been more prevalent just right now that I've yeah, noticed. Where it's got it's got to go back to the monitor. So it's like an automatic trigger to go to the monitor when there's a goaltend. And I I don't have a problem with that. You know my issue with replay and that it's inundated and I'm I can't believe I've gotten to this point, but I'd be I'd be more proponent of less replay than more, but it mainly affects the final minutes. The final minutes and especially in tournament play where you're just looking at every single oh, every, ball every out, of out of bounce yeah and you're taking way too long and you know my old rule of thumb is if you can't change the call in 30 good seconds 30 good seconds of looking maybe 45 to meet a happy medium in between 30 seconds and a minute then just stay with the call on the court but the that seems thing, like the easiest solution though if they put yeah, in a rule like that put if, put that in and make that a hard rule like a buzzer goes off you know we've looked at and four the, different the ref, angles the ref actually has to make a signal <laughs> to where he says time's up you know like the uh, one ref will be reviewing or two and then the third one has to throw his hands up when the buzzer says that that's it you got to call it you know Call it heads or tails. What's it going to be? I mean, if if we're to the point where we have to like blow up the resolution of like the screen and whatnot and get really in tight to see what, oh, did it touch his finger or his finger? And it just gets to be too much. Yeah, I agree with you. If they set a limit on the time, it would make things a lot smoother. I'm... I'm noticing a lot of ball screens. Are you noticing that? Moving, Moving screens at the top of the key when the big guy comes out, it's... It's almost like a point of emphasis, and we know a there, lot in the there, Emerald Coast Classic too. Yes, there are definitely points of emphasis when you talk to officiating coordinators of different conferences, even from the NCAA as a whole. Things that they want to have addressed. I mean, we've seen it before with block charge and how they try to put different things in. We've seen it with you know paying extra special attention to flopping. Right? Maybe that was last year or the year before where they started off the first two or three weeks of the season. I also have seen uh, some examples of games that are called very, very freely in the first half, and then they completely change in the other direction in the second half. And it doesn't look like the players are fouling that much more or playing in a different way. It just looks like it's being called different, but it might just be like the pressure of the game. Like if it's a tight game, these, these refs, 
think they need to, you know, be more careful with their way they're going about things instead of letting it free flowing. But in turn, that's the complete opposite of what we want from the game. I don't think that noticing these things makes you a whiner or a complainer. Of course either. not. I no, just think can, it means you, you care about your what sport. You like. Yes, you can critique yeah. what you like. Yeah. Is there something that you like about how they call the college basketball game? Is there anything to try I think to balance that says it out? Yes, would really be lying to you. To be honest with you, I, I think that's the biggest critique of the sport is the officiating versus what the NBA offici- officiating's been like, and how much more of an open and free flowing game it is. Um, well, they never seem to screw up made three point baskets. You know, foot on the line or not on the line. They seem to be pretty good at that, don't they? And then they can review that. That's a good point. They can review that at their convenience whenever they take uh, a stoppage in play. You know, they can go back and take a look at that. And sometimes I believe they, I, I want to say they might have done that for a, a potential goaltend as well, where they looked at it in the next break when there was a stoppage, so they didn't have to I take think they did with the time out on the spot. In, the, in recent games? Yeah, maybe? I want to say it wasn't an Ohio State game recently. I can't recall. Well, they took a look and said, yep, is a goaltend, basket still does count. So keep the points on the board. I don't mind it, but it just feels weird that you're changing an aspect of the game or the score after the fact. If now it's obviously more, I know, I it's know more, you're it's more saying. obvious. I know you're saying. The, it's more obvious with the three versus two foot on the line. I get that. You need a closer look at that. But it's almost like you want to know how much time has passed, right? It feels like, like if, if, if you have to if you're add a point it, yeah. on or take a point off, how much time has passed? Because then you're sort of coaching. If you're getting into the second half and there's Absolutely. five minutes to go, if it's in the first half, see, these are the things, right? These are the things that come up when the guys are in the room talking about how they want the sport to be officiated. What takes precedence, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know if we want to go changing the score too far after once we've already got our minds set to a certain score. Some would say, no, you got to stop it right then and there. We got to decide now. What's what's it going to be? I mean, was personally, it three, was if, it two, whatever. If you're asking me, I would like that just to have you know some finality to it and actually know in the moment because uh, anytime it happens in a, like a TV break or they change the score up on the board, you're just kind of confused by it. And then they explain it. It's like, well, Okay, I was playing the past two to three minutes not knowing what was going on. But, I mean, it's little things. I, I get it. It's really not big, that important in the big sc- scheme of things, but uh, it's just little things. We just set a new world record for going deep into this segment before we even played the show open. There's been some big games consumed here recently. And uh, here recently, and Colin and I want to talk about them. We both had our eyes on the same big-time matchup on Wednesday. Maybe it was more so a big-time environment, but that and so much more coming up in this episode of Mad About Hoops. We're so glad you're with us. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it! He hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. He finds oh! 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 Send it in, Jerome! Oh! <laughs> College basketball! This is March Madness! Oh, you know, it's good to hear that. It is great to hear that. And hearing Gus there, it takes me back to we're talking about, you know, how great it is to watch college basketball on TV now and to get those options and to just have have our YouTube TV or whatever service we're watching on tell us what we want and making making sure we know what's on. There's also some cases where 
you know, events, live broadcasts run long and you are already paying so much for exclusive stream. And I say streaming in this sense, not just your TV, but just, you know, HBO Max or Netflix, you know, non non TV services that are picking up all of the channels out there. Right. You know what I mean? The bills run high. You already got Disney Plus and the ESPN Plus Hulu package. You might have that HBO Max. You might have that Netflix. You might have Paramount Plus, whatever. So when when a game goes long, this was in one of Ohio State's Emerald Coast Classic games. I think it was the first one. There's some meaningless football game on CBS Sports Network. Right. And until it was found out that they set up a free stream for that on CBSSports.com and on the app. It was just watching some New Mexico, Utah State football game. And sure enough. Did you not enjoy that? I, I mean, it was a classic, right? When it went to overtime, all I could think of was Gus Johnson. What you just heard there. And we're going to overtime in Albuquerque. You know, I just wanted to get to the Buckeye basketball. <laughs> and this New Mexico, Utah State football game of like a, a four-win team and a five-win team just wouldn't end. It's actually really funny. So that scenario, um, we were actually out to eat. We were at the B-dubs across the street from the hotel up in Ypsilanti waiting uh, to watch the game. We wanted to watch the game at the B-dubs and met up with some of the reporters that were also going to the game and said, well, we need to be around a TV so that we can actually report on the game. But the issue was is that none of the TVs in that B-dubs was carrying the game because no one really understood, oh, they're only going to put that in the streaming format only on the website. It's tough to get that onto the TVs yeah, at the bars. Yeah, they, they couldn't do that. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so the reporters had to pull that up on their laptops, <laughs> and we saw it on there. And it, was it was the was whole just, half. Yeah, the it was the entire half. half. The, the whole first half. But uh, enough of that. Big game. I never thought that I'd have so much fun watching an Arkansas basketball game, but the Arkansas Razorbacks, even after taking a few losses off the start of the season, missing their leading score, and this week they knock off the Duke Blue Devils in one of the most raucous environments you will ever see, and that's what Duke brings, right? Even when a game isn't going to have a whole lot of juice, if a team, if a home team's not ranked in the top 25, Duke's on that schedule, and some someone on, on social media said this, and I agree with it. And it's always been true. You get... Duke's getting everybody's best shot. That oh, Arkansas, Arkansas was missing their leading score, an 18-a-game guy, and it's almost like that squad, Eric Musselman's team, was more revved up. And, Colin, that was one of the more fantastic environments you are going to see. It, sounded like, Mac, it sounded like Mackey Arena on steroids. That's how loud it felt just watching. Yeah, I think if you ask any media member nationally that's gone to all, all of these venues to name some, some of their top ones, Bud Walton for Arkansas is always going to be up there. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned this Arkansas team and some of the tough losses they've taken off the top, missing uh, Tremont Mark, the transfer from Houston for this game. It's been a it's been an uphill battle so far for them. It's there's no secret with Arkansas they are the transfer program. Seemingly every single player they play is not originally from Arkansas. Khalif Battle, the original Butler player. Uh, Trevon Brazil was from Missouri. L. Ellis was on that bad Louisville team from last year. Just a lot of guys that are joining the fold and really needed to mesh together, and they struggled. That, that was a main reason why they lost games to like UNC Greensboro, Memphis, and then they lost to uh, the last game they lost was to North Carolina, who played a really good game against Tennessee, which we'll get to later. But yeah, it was just a tale of two different teams in this Duke game. It was a team in Arkansas that was making everything. Uh, nearly 50% from three, 50% from their, from the field in general. And a, and a Duke team that quite honestly was just struggling to make anything. They were 
again, shooting 35%, which isn't terrible, but when they were shooting below 50% at one point on just layups alone, it was hard for them to overcome. They made it a game late and made it pretty close and interesting. It was exciting. Yeah, yeah they, they made it interesting at the end, especially with some defensive plays and some turnovers and whatnot. But yeah, it was just a game that Arkansas kind of just controlled throughout. Yeah, it's 75-79, and Duke gets a rebound after Arkansas hits one of two free throws with about 20 seconds left. So the shot clock's off, and they race up there, get a really good look at the top of the key. And if that one goes in, you know, you're 79-78 with... 14 seconds left and Duke's already been turning Arkansas over in the pressure, the way that Duke was running that, that two, two, one trapping yeah. full court pressure was, it was scary to watch how quickly their guards out there, McCain and Proctor and, and Roach, just the way those guys were moving and getting in the face and just stifling the, uh, the, the opposition there. You almost felt the turnovers coming from Arkansas. So it did make the end of that game very fun. And I think when you look at how Philip Philipowski can just get his shot when he needs to get his shot. And he had an unbelievable Absolutely. second half. He had 26 points, 10 rebounds, 22 from Roach as well. But Arkansas just had a good old fashioned fun basketball game where they were just primed to get the upset and nothing was going to stop them. Uh, it's hard to beat. Yeah. It's hard to lose the teams when you're shooting over almost 50% from the field. I mean, just in general. So well, yeah, Duke shot was, 35. They were, they were off. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were off. off, but yeah, Arkansas, Arkansas pretty much played a perfect game for the most part until the end. We'll take a quick pause here. Colin mentioned another big game that uh, was this week. We'll hit on that. And we got to give thoughts on the number one team in America. And can they really break through? You're listening to Mad About Hoops. All college basketball, all the time. You're listening to Mad About Hoops. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Timmy Hall and Evil Bald Colin talking some college basketball with you fine folks because we love to do it. It's our place where we talk about nothing but college basketball. So we're talking about big games. We talked a little bit about Duke and Arkansas back there. And any thoughts on how dirty it feels? I commented on this just to watch an ACC-SEC challenge. SEC is good basketball, yeah. but I just have a natural born hatred for the SEC. I mean, I get it because we lost the Big Ten ACC challenge, but in terms of just the quality of games we're getting in this battle right now, I, I can't, I mean, as a neutral fan, I really can't complain about that. But yes, as a, as an Ohio State fan local here to the Big Ten country, yes, I am disappointed in that. How about that Tennessee, North Carolina game? Staying in the same thing. It's presented by Continental Tire. Why I give him a free plug, I have no idea. But the ACC-SEC Challenge. Tar Heels throw 100 points up on the board mm. and beat 10th-ranked Tennessee. And just like Arkansas, the only difference is Tennessee is a top-10 team. They are coming off of tight losses to Purdue and to Kansas out in the Maui Invitational. And then... First time back, they got to go on the road to the Dean Dome and face a hungry North Carolina team that just seems to always bring their top players back. It must be nice to be a blue blood and you are just having three and four and five year players, it seems, growing out of your ears. It really is amazing, isn't it? Right. I mean, and you, one of them finally just transferred. Caleb Love just finally got the hell out of and there. And he's probably going to, I mean, he's going to at least compete for player of the year out there in the Pac-12. Arizona got a road win at Duke yeah. earlier in the season. That was Duke's other loss. But uh, your thoughts on that game and just being able to put up 100 points on 
the number one rated Ken Palm defense. I mean, going they put into up it. 61 in the first half. I think I read somewhere where that was like the most points Tennessee's given up in over like 15 years in the first half. Like, just insane numbers. How could it not be? Uh, yeah. How would a, t- how would a <laughs> Six, team like Tennessee ever give up points. 45 points in the first half? Well, for as good as they've been at, on the defensive side of the ball in recent years, yeah, you wouldn't think anytime recently. But yeah, North Carolina's done a really good job at kind of filling some holes on this roster, namely uh, Harrison Ingram, the transfer in from Stanford. He's been a really good piece, averaging about 15 points per game for them so far, and has really been just a solid force down there in the post, playing a forward position with Armando Baycott. That was really kind of the issue the past couple of years. Is they, they've had some talent down there with Baycott, but they really didn't have a compliment in the forward, uh, in the front court with him. And then you pair a guy like transfer from Notre Dame, Cormac Ryan, into this who can make some threes. Um, he went two for six in this game for the Tar Heels. Uh, you, you pair him with R.J. Davis in the backcourt, and it's, it's a really good for, group of four right there. And then you throw in some young guys in the mix, it was just a perfect storm. Yeah, hell of a punch off the bench, you mentioned, from Ryan and what he was able to give with uh, his scoring. But here's the thing, too. The losing team here, and it's not like 92 points. That's you're, If you were going to say that Tennessee is going to get 92 points in this basketball game. They're winning game, this game easily. They're winning this game by 15, right? I, Maybe I would say. Maybe 20? It's just it's shocking to see that Tennessee scores 92 and they lost this game by eight. Dalton necked 37 points. Dalton connect 37 points. Yeah. Connect four, <laughs> 37 points, six rebounds transfer from Northern, Northern Colorado. And he That's was a, he insane. Was, he was a guy, especially for that Northern Colorado team. That was not the greatest, but I mean, he, he really showed out there. He averaged over 20 points a game with them and is doing it now with Tennessee and, I mean, people that are going to look at Tennessee's record, see four and three and say, oh, here we go again. This is going to be another Tennessee team that doesn't put up the muscle come tournament time. But I mean, you, you named the losses for them, North Carolina, Purdue, and um, I forgot the third one there, uh, Kansas. So that's a, that's a three pack of teams that there's no shame in losing to them. You'd like to see maybe a win out of them. Uh, one of those three, but, but they got yeah. Wisconsin on the road. They played Syracuse. They held Wisconsin to seventy points on the road. It's a hell yeah. of a schedule, man. And I know, like that's that's what happens when you play in the Maui and then you get tied up. And I, I I'll say it again. I like the ACC SEC challenge because it is staying with the home arena format. They're not neutral sites. Uh, my rule of thumb is you can play in a holiday tournament. I would like to keep it at just that for your neutral site games. I know that's not the way it works. I know the Buckeyes are going to play another neutral site game. Two more, actually. So they had their holiday tournament. Mm -hmm. So that's two away from anyone's gym. And then there's two more. So four of their big non-conference matchups will be in nobody's gym. (laughs) So I I don't prefer that. I don't like that. I like how the ACC Big Ten Challenge was always back and forth. You know, you get a home game. I mean, the home game against Duke, right? I mean, there's another example how... Arkansas's gym was for the Duke game. And I would venture to say Arkansas, Arkansas basketball games for the most part, they might beat Ohio state just on the environment meter. Their gym's a little bit smaller. It's tougher for the Buckeyes to fill the Schottenstein center for every game. We've certainly seen that with the early games for, we've been talking about this for more than a decade until we're (laughs) blue in the face, but the Duke environment, that was something special that brought everybody out and you could feel it. I mean, you had Cedric Russell step up in that game. That helped push the Buckeyes to victory in a huge comeback fashion, too. Yeah, you, you completely nailed it. And it was 
a, a decent crowd for the A&M game. I was up in the stands with everyone else watching it with my significant other, and it was a great time. And Were you 300 gr- level for that one? Yeah, we got some like oh, nice. generic seats up there and sat up there and watched the game from there. But it was it was a good environment, but it's still there could be some improvements made in terms of just the overall amount of the crowd. But nonetheless, hopefully we get that when it comes to Big Ten play. Um, but I want to go back to this Tennessee game real quick because it was another issue that Tennessee's dealt with in the past couple of years on the off- offensive side of the ball. They have struggled in years past, and it's great they have Connect now dropping 30-plus points. But the issue is is that they're, he's not getting a ton of help. Now, Josiah Jordan-James gave him a great game, 20 points in that. And then Jonas Adu gave 13 when he's typically like an 8-points-per-game guy. But you're getting 9 from Sagai Ziegler, your upperclassman point guard, and uh, Santiago Vescovi, who was one of your Vescovi. sharp shooting three point shooters from the past couple of years, put up a goose egg in this game. So, wow, yeah, they scored 92 points. Don't forget, it really was on the back of what Dalton did in this game. And he really needs some help around him. Yeah, uh, foul trouble, too. If you look at the minutes that uh, they got from Vescovi, it's only 14 minutes. So, that also is a, a major effect, just not having his presence out there. Winds one up being sh- a major one effect. One shot attempt. Like, yeah. that's just not good enough. And uh, Jordan Ganey just. God, make a three, all right? Like you're, you're out there as a as a three-point specialist and one for nine. Uh, again, he, he gives you double figures, but it's not an efficient double figures, and that's another transfer. It's just uh, South Carolina Upstate. South Carolina Upstate. God dang it, man. How do you know that? That's good. <laughs> but there's so many transfers all over the place. You mentioned just in this game, and this is a game of big-time programs. We mentioned Arkansas, how Musselman builds through the transfer portal. How Nate Oates at Alabama he does builds through the time. transfer portal. Something about those SEC Reds, right? Like they're they're both doing <laughs> it there. That are typically football dominant schools, but their basketball programs are getting much, much, much better again. But I also look at Tennessee at four and three, and I don't think it's reason to sound the alarm because oh, no. the competition they're oh, playing. No. You're cutting your teeth. It's it's acceptable. There's going to be a long, long, long road ahead. I don't want to get too high as we'll talk about the Buckeyes here in a, in a few minutes, but. You it's don't probably want to get four, too low on Tennessee. It's probably a four-team race, and or I mean, honestly, you could probably go five teams. Although uh, A&M had a tough game against Virginia, only scoring forty-seven points in that game, but there's, there's about five teams that could realistically battle for the SEC title. All right, so we said we talk about them, and it's the number one team in the country right now, and they're not a stranger to this ranking here recently. But it's it's kind of crazy to see that the Purdue Boilermakers are picking up sixty first place votes in the AP. You really had UConn garnered a couple, I think because there's some people that hold on to the, you're returning a, you're a national championship team, even though your team has changed a bit, but you're undefeated. So some people think that way. Okay, whatever. It's, it's too early to even care, to be quite honest with you. Right. They're number four team in the country. UConn is Arizona's second. They're getting one vote. Marquette's third. They didn't get any first place votes, but Purdue overwhelming number one. And then the next big 10 is that, 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 all the way down at 24. And that's the fighting Illini solid team, right? Ohio state's actually third in the rankings at 29th, getting 67 votes. So not in the top 25, but the Boilermakers are a machine. It's not like they're unbeatable. 7167 to Tennessee, 7875 to Marquette. They controlled the Gonzaga game better than those other two. But those are three unbelievable wins to go and get away from your home court. Neutral site games at the Maui. But Zach Eady's back, and it seems like all these younger guys from last year are growing up a little bit, none more than Braden Smith. That's what's just kind of crazy about this. And if you think about the roster that Purdue has this year, in terms of swapping out uh, David Jenkins for Lance Jones, the Southern Illinois transfer, it's 
pretty much the same type of team. They're like, just old. They're just they're older. Just older. And they're they just should older. be better. Yeah, you get Trey Coppin Ren into the lineup, which is nice. He was nice a, player. He's been a really good compliment to Zach Eady when he's needed minutes uh, taken off his load. But then Ethan Morton's a really good. I mean, he's named as one of the glue guy all teams. Mason uh, Gillis is one Mason of those kind of guys. Will right, come in, will come in and make a couple of threes that can just break an opponent's back. Yeah, uh, I he, thought Caleb first was going to be such a stud, but he can't. He can't really find his way onto the floor. Just get, but he's a good player. He's a good player, but I don't think he was at, don't need a, at ton a consistently from him. high level is maybe what Kaufman Wren can probably give you on a day, day-to-day basis. No, he's been beat out by him. Yeah, clearly. Right. Uh, yeah, this is just a, it's a very interesting team in the fact that it's a year older, but they still seemingly have some similar issues to what we've seen the past couple of years, and that being um, maybe tight situations, guard ha- ball handling can be a little iffy. It's not as bad as what we saw at the end of last year. Could still be the case. 12.6 turnovers. Too much for a team that good. Absolutely. Especially as good as Braden Smith looks. And that's the problem is when he doesn't get to have the ball in his hands, you don't want to have to have him always have the basketball. You'd like to get him some open looks because he's pretty gifted offensively as well. Yeah, and uh, honestly, what's actually looked pretty decent early on and maybe this will kind of regress to the mean is their three-point shooting as a team has been been pretty well yeah yeah I will say though Smith actually now that I think of it he he is one of the offenders and that's part of his growth too as far as turning the basketball over he is incredibly talented but that's another step in his growth is trying to to get those numbers down, it's just hard to complain when he's averaging almost seven assists per game he's doing that so the turnovers are over two per game but he's He's finding so many of his guys, and as a team, they're averaging 17 dimes a game. And he's averaging, and I think this will regress because he's not shooting a ton of threes, but when he does, he's shooting at a 50% clip. Um, But what's concerning to me is I see a guy like Fletcher Lawyer who kind of showed to be one of their guys they could lean on for outside shots when they needed it. He's shooting 33% on the season. Not the worst, but for a guy of his potential, it should be a lot higher. All right, this Buckeye basketball team is... Maybe heading for the polls. They might need to catch another big game in front of them. Will this one this weekend as Big Ten play starts up be enough to get them to crack the AP top 25 if they get it done? We'll hit our Buckeye breakdown coming up here. It is Mad About Hoops. One of these men is evil and bald. The other one is Timmy Hall swinging his meat bat. You're listening to Mad About Hoops on the fan. All right, Tim, it's been a very, very good start to the season for the Buckeyes, in my opinion. I think you'll share the same. Well, they only lost to Texas A&M <laughs> at home. Right, pretty you know? good. And, you know, if, to, to stop you right there, how quickly the tone can change, right, with this fan base because I'm taking a storm of texts in that first game against Oakland, how tight of a game that was, and then losing oh, the second game. Oh, by the way, game. Oakland, who beat Xavier? Not bad, <laughs> I mean, right? And they've gay games to teams right? like Illinois. They're not a bad team, and they might win the uh, Horizon this year. And Oakland's coach comes down here dropping jokes about Connor Stallions and, and Michigan and stealing signs in his postgame press conference. He, he thought they did a pretty good job scouting the Buckeyes and knew what they were doing, and they had a good zone defense, and uh, teams threw a lot of zone at Ohio State in their first three games and threw a wrench in it, but they, they play Oakland to a six-point game. That one's dicey. 
They lose to Texas A&M, so feelings are still kind of, uh, how much better is this team? The transfers, Mahathy and Bonner, Which at didn't the time, look great in I, those first two. Yeah, I totally understand. I, I know we we tell people not to overreact early. It's early in the season, right. but at the same time. And I don't time, want to overreact as the 6-1 and one either, you know, but it's, it's, acknowledge yeah. that they've been good in these last five games. Absolutely. They've been on the good roll. Um, looked like at times, maybe early in the game, it was going to be a little shaky, but I like to see the resolve and overcoming that and then really getting that spread up to about 25, 30 points at one point. And they looked really good in that game well, against te- Central Michigan. Well, tell me, we got to go back to the holiday tournament that the Buckeyes, uh, at six and one getting ready to start big 10 play Sunday. They're going to host Minnesota. So it'll be a big game for their transfer. Jameson battle who spent a couple years with the golden Gophers, but you got to go back to the Emerald coast classic. Sure, they they drilled Santa Clara on the the comeback game where you got to play the the second and two nights, and to beat a undefeated Santa Clara team by thirty points and just leave them behind was impressive. But the top twenty win is what everyone's going to talk about. How you faced Mark Sears and Aaron, not Eric Estrada, Aaron Estrada, one of the uh, just an amazing backcourt for Alabama. And Roddy Gale and Bruce Thornton just showed America what they can do. 29 for Bruce, 23 for Roddy. Career highs, and they beat Alabama at their own game. Yeah, that's the the last point you just made was what I wanted to go into. Is And going into that game, I wanted to see, one, were they going to let Alabama dictate the style of game, which is what they want to do. They want to go up and down the court, multi, as many possessions as possible, throw up threes when you can get them. And I was wondering, was Holtman going to let his team play into that model? Does he want to see his guys play that way? And to his credit and to his team's credit, they really took on the initiative to play their way and showed they could win that way, while also in other games show they could win and maybe a slower grinded out style. So that's what I like seeing about this team is that they show you can they can win in multiple ways. And they had to clearly in this Alabama game. And they while guys like Estrada, Nelson, and Sears got their points. You saw guys like Roddy Gale and Bruce Thornton say, okay, we're going to step up to it and we're going to match you and we're going to take, take it to a different level. And I honestly, one of the more impressive games I've seen in the Holtman era. Yeah. And just to be able to rely on guards, we talk about Absolutely. having, the, we talk about having the best guards in the NCAA tournament all the time. And when you look up and down this Ohio state roster now, and you've actually seen a little bit of what Dale Bonner can bring you. I think that's been Especially a huge... Especially defensively. Yeah. Like, that was one part well, of his and, game and, I wasn't fully expecting coming in. But, but I'm actually talking more about handling the basketball. Yeah. Because that lets Bruce Thornton breathe a little bit. Absolutely. And Bruce from the three-point line, it's a it's an incredible threat. Like, when he gets hot and he gets that bounce to his step, he kind of has that little side step with the dribble and then he lets it fly. It's just got a pretty touch and great rotation on it, whether he's shooting from the left wing or the right wing. He just, he feels it. And feels it, got, and, he, and he, he's got a feel for, you know, getting himself into situations where he knows he can get the foul and get to the line. That too. And he went 13 for 14 from the line. The team shot 93% from the line. It's in unbelievable. This game. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it too. Bruce is a weapon because his ability to draw contact and, it's he's an incredible three-way score, three-level score. He hits the three. Uh, boy, Lord knows we love watching him just do work in the mid-range, right? Off the yes. dribble, he can feel his defender on him. He can, you know, seal him off with his body or take that. It's not even so much a fadeaway, but he just creates some space for himself to just get the shot up. And he's always got his eyes on the front of the rim, soft touch, and he just 
he drains so many of those mid-range jump shots, and we know what he can do if he's able to catch a pick and get to the hole and get to the rack, make a layup, get the foul, and then you see what he can do with his free throw percentage. So it's unbelievable, and I feel like we're not doing Roddy Gale enough justice either because oh, yeah. he, he deserves his, his all, vision, all the praise for what he's his, doing. His vision, too, and Roddy's hitting the glass for you. His rebounding numbers are up. His assist numbers are up, and it's just the way – when he's getting these assists there, it's not just like I'm whipping the ball to a three point shooter and he happens to make it. So I get the assist. No, he is oftentimes setting Felix Okpara up for alley-oop slam dunks. Like that's how good this guy is when he drives and gets into the paint and always just has that sense on just reading the play. Great at just reading what's in front of him, Roddy. And one of the things that I know happened in the loss, but Again, teams that want to play a little bit of zone, too. He's very good at finding and getting a feel for the pockets he needs to get into to receive the ball and then turn and make a, a mid-range shot in that area, too. So he's he's shown a lot of growth from what we saw even in the Big Ten tournament where we saw a lot more of perimeter shooting, three-point shots. He just got really hot from there. But I'm really encouraged to see the growth of his game in several different areas, and you nailed it. Another guy, especially the, the two-guard spot, that can really handle the ball and be someone you can rely on and and really any situation in that backcourt. Well, Colin, we got to open it back up. We got to open up the road trip meter. And do you have a mid-major flavor for the fine folks out there? I mean, I could. Not off the top of my head, I don't. But there's just... Well, don't give it to them now. Okay, I'll don't, think on it. I'll you think just, on it. You, you think on it through the break <laughs> here as we pull up our schedules and we 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 pretend and... We try to see what the best matchups are within a driving distance of Columbus. If we had free reign to go wherever we wanted to go for a nice Saturday or Sunday college basketball game and check out a new gym or an old gym, where would we go? The road trip meter and a little mid-major flavor that's coming up. It's Mad About Hoops. All the college basketball talk you can handle. You're listening to Mad About Hoops. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Saturday, it's a college football championship Saturday, but it's also bleeding into college basketball. Damn it, the Buckeyes aren't in it today. So we kind of focus on what's ahead. And we certainly do thank you guys for checking us out here. And if you're listening on The Fan, the podcast is, as you're hearing, Mad About Hoops. Search it up anywhere you get your audio. There's always going to be stuff in the podcast that doesn't make it on to the replay here on the radio station because we got to trim it down and make sure that it fits. But uh, we love to do this. I mean, we love to get out and go and, and see different arenas. What'd you see last year, Colin? Add anything to the list last season? I know you did. I'm trying to think. I mean, outside of the NCAA tournament, I don't think off the top of my head, I don't think so. I mean, I, I guess I could say Dayton with the preseason game um, between Ohio State and Dayton. I did get to cross that off. Surprisingly, it's taking me that I long can't to believe, actually get down there. But, I can't believe you <laughs> had not been there. Well, when, yeah. was it, when was it you were out at, at USC? You were that traveling for Ohio seasons, State. That would have been two seasons ago. Um, no, that was I, I great, was out right? There, I was out there for the Super Bowl. and uh, <sighs> Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, it was nice, right? Uh, but no, during that week, there was actually, actually the USC-UCLA game at USC. So that was a pretty good... At the time, it was an upset. USC beat UCLA in that game um, when they had Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez. And, oh, man. Yeah, it was a Our really guys. good game. And meanwhile, I got to scratch off the Stroh Center up at Bowling Green last season. 
Interesting. Saw our uh, our Kent State team that we loved so oh, much. Sincere, sincere carry. With sincere carry. Yeah. Just like a rock, man. You t- just talk about a, talk about a dude that could just get his bucket anywhere on the basketball floor. I'm still Score ups- whenever he wanted to. I'm still to. upset about that draw they got in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they got Indiana, didn't they? They got Indiana. Played and okay. Was just, it was just not a good matchup for them as a team. Well, but. yeah, that's that's that is a tough draw, and the MAC just continually gets screwed. In the NCAA yes, tournament, absolutely, yeah, they do. no respect, no love, and it's a it's a pretty good league, uh, really. When you look around mid majors, it's it's one of the more perplexing things for college basketball fans as to why the MAC has never been able to get a two bid season in there with what other mid major conferences. They thought have they done. were going to get close, maybe not last year, but two years ago when they had a really good Toledo team and that Kent State was team was pretty good, but not to the level they were last year. Um, but yeah, may, maybe one day, but not yet. Yeah, so. You know, when we look at when we look at the road trip meter and we go around and we try to see what's in our area, what can we what can we do? How how far are we willing to drive? That's always that's always a thing, you know? That's right. That's always, you know, if we could just hop on a plane like like your friend Matt Matty Ice who does Rothman and Ice, there's no <laughs> no driving for him. I think 4 hours is his absolute limit, so that's all he would do. But when you do look around the MAC conference, you see that you've got uh, the Ohio Bobcats in a little 2 o'clock action on Saturday against the fighting Joe Flacco's, your quarterback now for the Cleveland Browns. That's right. Delaware, Ohio and Delaware at 2 o'clock. Just for checking out the Convo Center, I always think it's a fun trip to go down there the, uh, to go down there to Athens because it's only an hour, and you get outside of town, and you're back in the same day. It's really nice. I also think that Toledo and George Mason to stay in the MAC is a is a nice little ball game. Six and one George Mason team, always a pretty decent. You kind of back and forth in seasons from being good and you know threatening to make an NCAA tournament and then being very mediocre. But right. to catch the Rockets, five hundred right now, and Toledo's been pretty good in seasons past, and I think they're gonna wind up turning things around after a few straight losses. So those are two from the Matt conference that stick out to me. I was really hoping we could cheat on this because I really want to go to Wisconsin for the battle of uh, Wisconsin schools between Marquette oh, and yeah. Wisconsin at the Kohl Center. Oh, man, that was great. And it's a $72 ticket, and that's a bit of a poke to get up there. It is. It was It was a great venue for football. Uh, the area was great for fo- football. I didn't realize the field house that's actually connected to uh, Camp Randall actually used to house or be the home of basketball. Oh, for the really? School. Really? If you've ever seen it, that little like building on the one and behind a one of the end zones is actually a field house that used to used to be the home of basketball. And they said it used to get so loud in there. So imagine whatever a coal center would be like now. It was ten times worse back <sighs> then. Um, I mean, <laughs> I guess you could go back to Dayton. Dayton's hosting Grambling. That's not really like a headline game, and it's probably not a huge headline game weekend in general in the area. You kind of nailed it with OU and Delaware. Maybe that would interest you. Uh, Bellarmine, who almost upset Louisville this week, they'll be at Ball State. So Muncie's not a terrible drive. Um, otherwise, it's not the greatest group, I would say. I mean, no, you, a, you could go up to Oakland. It's, it's really uh, Watch Oakland again. Watch Oakland. Yeah, it's really about checking out a new gym this week because the matchups outside of that Marquette and Wisconsin, like you said. The other one I would offer up, it's a little bit more of a drive, but I have done it. I have done this on a on a road trip, and that's going to Philadelphia. And mm. you're getting the Big Five Classic. You're getting a three-pack of basketball games with this new format. You familiar with this now? So the Big Five officially invited the Drexel Dragons in. They've always been left out in the cold. They've been in some different conferences. They've 
I think I think they've been in the CAA for a good long while now, and they're a four and three team. Drexel took its losses to LaSalle and Temple. So this is actually the third place game. They separated them into pods. So Drexel, LaSalle, and Temple are in a pod, leaving Villanova, Penn, and St. Joe's in the other one. And, and so what's however hilarious. that however that round robin goes, you just match up like third place game, you know, right. Second place, first place game. So Villanova is an it's undefeated 0-2. team. They're 0-2 in their pod. I know. They're an undefeated team if they didn't have to play schools from Philly. Villanova just got the doors beat off them by St. Joe's, and they were playing in Finnernan, the small place on their campus. They held Maryland to 40 points. They beat Texas Tech. They beat <laughs> North Carolina and Memphis. Unbelievable. But St. Joe's, who also gave a really good game to Kentucky and probably should have won that game. That's pure uh, anarchy right there. Lost to St. Joe's and Penn. That's insane. Yeah, I know. It's it's nuts. Any any mid-major flavors stick out from any of those teams or, or games we actually just no, hit on there? No, honestly, and I, I should have known this going or exiting the previous segment because I had this game on my brain the entire day and should have brought it up. But Colorado State out there in the Mountain West, first place, they're seven and zero at the time of this recording. And Isaiah Stevens, you'll probably recognize the name, was a All American candidate the past couple of years. Dealt with an injury last year that kind of uh, hurt his game a little bit, but he's averaging almost eighteen points per game. And this team, man, they've got four guys averaging double digits. They beat. Boston College on a neutral court. They beat Creighton by 21 on a neutral court. And they just beat Colorado. Colorado, who's being considered a sneaky candidate out in the Pac-12 for maybe winning that conference. So they just took down those three Power 5 conference teams. They've got Washington this weekend, which will be a pretty good matchup uh, as Washington's got uh, Keon Brooks and Severe Wheeler, two Kentucky transfers out there. I think Brooks was originally from Kentucky, but uh, a, a decent Washington team. So they have a chance to take down now a fourth power five team uh, in this situation. I think they can do it and they probably will. I would also shout out James Madison in the mid-major flavor, the Dukes who have been so good in football and they yes. started off the season with that win on the road at Michigan state and they haven't lost. They're ranked. They got them into the polls, top 25. They're a legit team out of Harrisonburg, Virginia. So they're seven and zero. And you mentioned Creighton's one loss. How about, Number 15, Creighton at Nebraska, the other undefeated Big Ten team. That's a Sunday 4 o'clock game. So rivalry there. First big test for Nebraska. Tickets, uh, 58 bucks to get in the door at Pinnacle Bank Arena. They will bring some good crowds, the Nebraska basketball fans. They're yeah, very good out there. You really got to give Nebraska some credit because they've really rebounded well with that team and Got some good transfers in there. Rank Mast, who was on that Bradley Braves team of last year that was really good in the Missouri Valley. Um, and then they obviously keep some some guys in the fold from the past couple of years, like Kaisei Tominaga and uh, C.J. Wilcher. Uh, but it's it's a very solid team. I think they could challenge for middle of the pack in the Big Ten, but it's really going to see we're going to see this weekend when they face Creighton if they've really got the ability to play a top-end team because as of now, I don't think they've played anyone really tough on their schedule. If I look... Uh, Duquesne, who's going to compete in the A-10, was probably their toughest opponent so far, and it was a 10-point win. So this we're going to really find out about these Cornhuskers this weekend. All right, CB. Good stuff, man. Week four of the college basketball season. We uh, will wind down college football here with some big stuff and a big month. We don't know what's going to happen with the Buckeyes as far as this being championship Saturday. The Big Ten championship game Saturday night. Oh, man. 
Michigan and Iowa. I don't think I'm going to watch sucks. it. sucks. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm going to watch it. Feels like the loss to Michigan was three weeks ago. I can't believe we're just, if people are listening on Saturday here, just one <laughs> week ago from when that happened. But uh, hopefully the Buckeyes go out there and get a big win, start Big Ten season with a Minnesota victory. It was a crucial loss for them last year. So maybe that's on their mind to go out there and do whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah, the Buckeyes have a really good chance to go into January feeling really good about themselves with some wins possibly over Minnesota and Penn State to set off Big Ten play and then really winnable games in your non-conference between uh, West Virginia and UCLA come up. So they've got a really good opportunity. Will they cash in? We'll find out. Guys, we'll talk next week. As always, thank you so much for following. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mad About Hoops.